0: You may be seated this morning. I'm going to give a little brief introduction to uh, the book of Jonah. And uh, as I do, we'll uh, prepare hearts then for the reading from chapter 1 of of Jonah. But uh, Jonah is one of the shortest books in the Old Testament. Uh, You've heard the expression, uh, good gifts come in small packages. This is true of the book of Jonah. Only 48 48 verses in this little book you can read all four chapters in 10 minutes or less and i would encourage you to do that every week during the month of august during this series jonah is one of 24 old testament books that jesus himself quotes from in the gospels jesus said jonah's time in the belly of the great fish foreshadowed his own burial and resurrection in matthew 12 verse 40 Uh, Jesus said, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jonah is very different from the other prophetic books found in the Old Testament. They contain a lot of preaching, of of, uh, prophetic utterance, words from the Lord. But Jonah is almost exclusively narration. It is a story. Some say it is a parable, that it's not a record of true events. Uh, When a man catches a fish, we accept that as true, generally speaking, right? But when a fish catches a man, we have our doubts uh, about whether that could be true. But even those who doubt the uh, truthfulness of Jonah recognize that as a parable, it has some very powerful teaching. Um, The way I look at it, Uh, it is uh, a much greater miracle that God raised Jesus from the dead. And uh, if he did that, surely he could preserve a man's life in the belly of a great fish for three days. Jonah is just about the only Old Testament prophet who is truly successful at what he does. Uh, The people respond to this message of repentance, of impending judgment if they don't turn away from their sin and turn to God. And this makes Jonah very mad when people do just that. Jonah is a book about trusting and obeying God. Uh, running from God is always foolish in whatever form it may take. And even though it's in the Old Testament, I believe the story of Jonah is a story about grace. And I want you to hear that in the reading of Jonah. Every week we will read a different chapter uh, because the chapter is a are so short, we can do that. So this morning, it's chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 17. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonas God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him as a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah... And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let's pray together. God, we pray now in these next moments that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would help us to see uh, perhaps the ways in which we have sought to get away from you, to run from your will, to live live life on our terms rather than yours. Come, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our grandsons have been with us all week. We were with them in North Carolina the week previous while on vacation helping our daughter-in-law and the boys move into their new home uh, on this side of the country. Uh, and we're thankful for that. Very, very thankful to finally have them back on the East Coast. But Jared and Laura, I think, are in Durango, Colorado uh, right now. Uh, they may not have actually gotten up. It's a couple hours, I think, behind us. But uh, they are making their way across the country. They'll stop pick up the boys in Georgetown later this week and head to Chapel Hill. But we celebrated with, um, with the grandparents. The other grandparents in Lexington On Thursday Lincoln's got a birthday coming up in August Uh, Ezra just had his birthday last week and he is now three years old and he has finally after much struggle learned to talk and now he won't stop talking and we are amazed at his uh, mastery of the English language at age three especially given the fact that for two and a half years he didn't say much of anything Ezra is also not not only a big talker, he is a fast runner. He is fast and unafraid, which is a very dangerous combination. Recently, he slipped out, out the front door of their new home in Chapel Hill. We were there welcoming some friends and out he went. And he ran down the street laughing all the way. Laura caught up with him 50 yards later. And she said to him, Ezra, you have been a naughty boy. And he looked at her and smiled said, A little bit naughty, a little bit fun. Well, this morning we begin our look at the defining episode of a different kind of runner. And his name was Jonah. And chapter 1 tells us that a message came to Jonah from the Lord. And it, it totally grossed him out, turned him off, revolted him. That God told him to go to Nineveh, this Gentile city in the kingdom of Assyria. Now, Nineveh was the oldest city in Assyria. In fact, it's one of the oldest cities at that time in the world, in the civilized world. It was situated on the east bank of the Tigris River. Uh, It is encircled today. Its ruins are encircled today by the modern Iraqi city of Mosul, which many of us... ...are acquainted with because of of the two Iraq wars. It was the largest city in the world in the 8th century B.C. It was great in population and it was great in power. And chapter 1 tells us it was also great in wickedness. Noah, uh, excuse me, Jonah was sent to Nineveh... ...which is described as being very wicked. The Living Bible translates verse 2... Their sin stunk to high heaven. They were an offense in the nostrils of God. And, and God told Jonah to travel 600 miles from his base there in northern Israel to uh, Nineveh to preach a message of repentance and judgment. And this could not have been more shocking and offensive to Jonah. I mean, you think about our nation's worst enemies in, in perhaps generations previous or even today. Or maybe think about your, your own worst enemy, someone that you have struggled with perhaps for years or your entire life, and imagine yourself being sent by God to give that person a chance to change their ways. When what you really want is their destruction. Nineveh was Israel's arch enemy during, during Jonah's tenure as a prophet Assyria was a looming threat for the northern kingdom. In fact, within 70 years, Assyria would conquer Israel and would carry its people into captivity. As warriors, the Assyrians were cruel and bloodthirsty. They obliterated their enemies by systematically... taking all of the people that lived in a particular town or city or village they conquered and and deporting them back into the Assyrian kingdom. Assyria committed horrible atrocities. They tortured, they dismembered, they decapitated um, innocents, including adolescents that were taken captive. And how do we know this? Uh, they were arrogant and proud enough to carve these elaborate images of these atrocities in stone that have survived to this day. The prophet Nahum called Nineveh the city of blood full of lies. In chapter 3, verse 1 of Nahum. And and when God commands, commands Jonah to cry out against Nineveh, the reason is clear, for their wickedness has come up to me. The Lord says. So Jonah ran. Jonah ran and he ran hard and he ran long. Jonah attempted to go to the very edge of the known world. A city called Tarshish that we believe was on the Spanish coast. Over 2,000 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. It would have taken Jonah weeks, if not months, to actually get there. Nineveh, for Jonah, represented the will of God. Tarshish represented the will of a rebellious, disobedient man. In his book, the prodigal prophet Timothy Keller observes that Jonah had a problem with the job that God had given him to do. And he's, he's not alone in that. <laughs> Frankly, I've, I've had uh, a number of people over the last decades... ...since I've been in ministry tell me, you know, God called me to ministry... ...and I, I just couldn't say yes. I just couldn't follow him. Because the circumstances of my life, the insecurities of my life, whatever... ...caused me to go in the opposite direction. But Jonah, according to Keller, had a bigger problem... ...with the one who gave it to him. Jonah concluded that because he could not see any good reason... ...for what God was asking him to do... ...there couldn't be any good reason for him to obey God. He doubted the very character of God... ...the grace of God... ...the goodness and the mercy of God... ...and the wisdom of God. And you know, I think we all have similar experiences particularly when something really hard and difficult enters our lives. Um, I remember a dear saint of God in a church that I pastored 30 years ago having a major crisis of faith. This was a woman of prayer who loved Jesus, who studied her Bible, who would sing special music in worship. She, She was a tremendous servant of God in this little church. But when she received a diagnosis of cancer... She began to really doubt God. And within three months, she went home to be with the Lord with much fear and doubt and even some anger in her life over that illness. We get angry after years of abusing our bodies, of not taking care of this temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet when it catches up with us finally... We get angry with God because the last years of our lives are spent with uh, debilitating health problems, some of us even handicapped. We despair of ever finding a decent job, even though we've not been faithful with the ones that we've had previously. Or maybe we've just had several failed attempts at finding work. We struggle financially even though we've been reckless with our money or, or have been stingy with God, haven't given God his share, his fair share of what we have, we've earned. We hurt more deeply than we ever imagined when a husband or a wife betrays us through infidelity. If there is a God, we think, because we've been through circumstances like those I've just mentioned or some that are similar to them, we think that God doesn't know what He's doing. God doesn't care about me. God has lost His mind. (laughs) So we turn away. Well, next time you decide to disobey God and refuse to listen to what God is telling you to do, remember this. Whenever you run away from God, the trip is always longer, always harder, and always more costly than you ever imagined. As the old saying goes, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Or as Ezra says, a little bit naughty, a little bit fun. That sounds about right to us, doesn't it? But the fact is it's foolishness. It it, it is foolishness. And it's self-defeating and self-destructive for us not to radically obey God as Jesus taught over and over again in the Gospels. In Galatians 6, Paul writes this. He says, don't be misled... You cannot mock the justice of God. You will reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Holy Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. The imagery is so vivid here in chapter 1 into chapter 2 of Jonah. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down to the port where the ship is. And then he goes down into the hold of the ship. And then he goes down, down, down in the depths of the sea and goes down into the belly of a great fish, which in chapter 2, he equates with Sheol, the place of the dead. A run from God. A run from God, friends, always is down. Always goes down. And yet God does not give up on Jonah. Here's the message of mercy and grace in this story. God does not give up on on any of us. God does not throw us away even though we run. I I will not forget quickly that image of of Laura frantically running after Ezra down a sidewalk in their neighborhood with him gleefully laughing uh, And and her, in a panic, trying to grab up, scoop up, and protect and save her son, her little three-year-old boy, from possible danger. Indeed, our rejection of God's will only makes His resolve to pursue us greater and with greater um, purpose. Uh, Several scriptures in the Bible... Uh, speak of this and we'll be looking at some of them over these next few weeks. But, uh, but we are trying as God tries to train us by allowing difficult circumstances to come into our lives, by even causing a storm to brew, if that will wake us up. We are trying to teach Ezra to stop when he tell him to, tell him to do so. But you know what? Uh, even though we're, we're making some progress, we did this week, it's very hard for a three-year-old to listen. But it's also hard for 30-year-olds to listen. And for 50-year-olds to listen. And even 80-year-olds to listen. Uh, God pursues Jonah on his way to Tarshish and he forces him to face his rebellion during this terrible storm. It reminds me of a story that I heard about a ship that was sinking in the middle of the hurricane and um, the captain called out to the crew, does anyone here know how to pray? And one lone man raised his hand. He said, yes, sir, I know how to pray. And he, say, he said, good, good. We are short one life jacket. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, these words, this prayer was written by King David 300 years before the time of Jonah. This is what he said, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And that is the mystery of God's mercy. He never stops chasing us and pursuing us, never. Tim Keller says this about Jonah's dilemma. He says it's a theological problem. He's trying to reconcile his his view of God, who God is and what God has asked him to do in going to Nineveh. But, But it's also for Jonah... A heart problem. Unless Jonah can see his own sin of rebellion and see himself as living wholly by the mercy of God, he will never understand how God is merciful to all people. To all people. No matter what their life circumstances, no matter how desperate or disobedient they may be, God is a God of compassion. The story of Jonah with all of its twists and turns is is about how God takes Jonah and sometimes by the hand and other times by the scruff of the neck to show him things as Jonah runs and runs again. But even though he uses um, multiple means of trying to reach out to him throughout this story as we'll see during this series, God continues to extend mercy to Jonah in new ways, even though we, like Jonah, never understand it or ever deserve it. Now, there are two ways of running when life gets hard. Do you know what those are? sounds simplistic, but it's true. We can either run away from God or we can run to God a place where we will find mercy in our time of need. Which are you doing in your life right now? And do you understand why you've been on the run for so long? Now I'm so grateful that Holy Communion is a time for us as the people of God to draw strength from His grace. And so if if you are... um, Needing a new beginning, a fresh start, then this is the time, this is the time, this is the moment for you to receive that. Um, I never will forget many years ago being in a communion service in a large auditorium at a conference of United Methodists. There were probably 2,000 people in this auditorium. And when the invitation was given for communion, uh, the presiding pastor said to the congregation, the ushers will dismiss you row by row and you may come forward and receive the bread and the cup. But there, there was this young woman sitting about mid, midways uh, in the auditorium. She was kind of in the center of a row with people on both sides of her who when that invitation was given was doing everything possible to get out of her seat so that she could run to that makeshift altar and receive God's grace. And I have no idea what was going on in her life, but she was sobbing and crying as she took the bread and the cup as the very first person in line. You may feel a similar urgency in your life. There may be something going on in your life where you need to abandon yourself more fully to the will of God. And to help you in that, we are going to read a prayer here together and then we'll sing uh, this hymn, Here I Am Lord. Would you join me? This is uh, a prayer by Charles de Foucault. He was a French uh, Frenchman, uh, a soldier who later became uh, a monk, became a priest and died in North Africa as a martyr for the Christian faith. Let's read these words aloud together. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I ask for nothing else, my Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I give it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you. Lord, and I so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with a trust beyond all measure, because you are my Father. Amen.